All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Josh McCartney. Josh is a memory and confidence coach. And in this interview, we focus on how leveling up your memory is a key to changing our lives in all areas. We tend to tell ourselves a story of who we are as a person and what we're capable of. But this is normally bullshit, as with some help, we can build good habits, self-confidence and a remarkable memory. Using the strategies and exercises Josh outlines, you can develop a mega memory that can change your life. And in this interview, we discuss building memory methods, habits and hacks to learn new skills quickly, confidence and mental health fixes, the memory playbook, emotion and flow state, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for doing this. Now, I, I, I can't believe how much I enjoy your social media. The, you know, your TikTok videos are legendary. You've got such a following there. But for people who maybe don't recognize your name, could you give a quick introduction of who you are and why you're building, you know, such a juggernaut of a, um, of a I don't know how you would describe it? Memory, yeah. memory school. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't expect really many people to know who I am, to be fair. Um, the amount of followers that I've kind of received has been in the last sort of six to eight months, but I've been mm-hmm. doing the memory stuff for a few years now. Around like several years ago, a good friend of mine um, kind of came to me and was like, hey, man, I found this really, really cool thing. We should um, get into it. And it's called like accelerated learning and memory coaching, memory training. And we didn't really recognize why nobody had heard about this sort of stuff before in the past, right? Mm-hmm. I had been a terrible student in high school, a terrible student in school, uh, even university, I wasn't very good at. <laughs> and I kind of pinned it down to, I thought it was my ability, my intellect, and I was at a fixed mindset, right? But as I started to learn these techniques and these, um, you know, these abilities that I, I thought were impossible, I started to actually have some confidence in myself and my ability to be able to learn. And now whenever I try to learn anything new, it's, easy it's effortless there's no hesitation there's always the processes that i know are going to occur like there's a little bit of an adaptation which takes a little bit of energy from you but at the end of the day learning has become so effortless for me now that i wish i knew these techniques earlier in the past and that's kind of like my mission is to give people these sort of techniques these memory techniques these learning strategies and the the belief and ability to be able to be confident in themselves and to be able to take action in whatever area of their life they're wanting to learn. So it goes well past just learning new skills. It goes well past mm-hmm. school. It goes well past uh, university. It goes into every area of your life because every area of your life is going to require a new version of yourself. And the faster you can learn, the faster you can adapt, the more value you can add to yourself, to the people around you, and the more impact that you can make around the world as well. So that's kind of like my little mission in a nutshell. And it's to help empower people via learning strategies, habit change, and goal setting, confidence training, and the entire embodiment of that. 
No, I mean, that's why I loved your material because, you know, usually when you hear them in memory, it's like, you know, do this rhyme because it'll stick in your head more. And then, but when I seen the, the range that you went to, you know, it's like you're saying the accelerated learning, it's the habit change, it's the the actual um, personality development and all these kind of additional things that you're incorporating into it. Um, but on your sort of on your branding, you mentioned how you're a memory coach, but not as we'd know it. You know, can you go into a little bit about how you, you know, why your approach differs? And was there a moment when you were younger that you thought, because you mentioned, you know, about struggling at school, and I was the same. I felt like I couldn't change after school. You know, unless you're getting taught, that's it. Whatever you've learned at that point. But doing the podcast has shown me that you can learn and adapt and improve at any age. Have you found you know, what was it that the spark that made you get into this once you left uh, university? And how are you a different approach compared to the other, I want to say memory coaches, because they don't seem to do <laughs> as well as you? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, a lot of it is personality and I never claim to be the best or I never try to be a neuroscientist or anything like that. What I try and tell people is, what I give you is practical. You can take it away right now and you can apply it to your life. And you don't know the area of your life that's going to improve. And I don't say that it's going to be only memory. So it might affect different areas of your life. And I'm kind of, I, I started off in personal development around 12 years ago. I started with the book, The Power of Now. And that was my first mm -hmm. introduction to the, the world of self-development. And then I started along the way learning from Tony Robbins and Joe Dispenza and Tim Ferriss and, um, you know, all of these great people and it was all about self-development and then I got into the learning strategies and the and the memory techniques and these were kind of the things that connected it all together for me you know I was able to understand all the personal development um, tactics and tools via the way that recognizing how the brain works and how memory works and how memory structures mm -hmm. are and how to create these sort of neural networks to be able to assist you in every area of your life so for me it's a lot of my personal story. You know, I came from being overweight, bullied as a kid. I was like, um, I did homeschooling for a couple of years because I wasn't confident enough to go to school. Um, and so I've had such a low confidence pretty much my entire life until the last sort of few years, realistically. And I, I would be a performer. I've been a singer. I've been, um, you know, touring, touring Australia and America and UK and that sort of stuff for music. And I was always unfulfilled when it comes to performing. You know, I would always wanted to be inspiring to other people and I always wanted to help people to become a better version of themselves, but I didn't realize that music was not the avenue for me. Um, so I, I, I followed it and pursued it for many, many years until I kind of realized that it wasn't the thing. I was unfulfilled. I was drinking like crazy and, you know, partying and having what I thought was a good time, but running myself into the ground. <laughs> And coaching kind of became the thing that was a bit of a savior for me. It became the thing that I was finding fulfillment in and excitement in and passion. And it's not an, an effort for me to show up to. So I've had a bit of a bizarre approach to memory and a bit of a bizarre approach to becoming a memory coach and confidence coach. But it's taken time and it's a little bit different to some of the other guys you're going to see out there. Because that's definitely the thing is like when I would go through other coaches, it was like, okay, let's just, you need to believe you're this person and just go and live that life. You know, it was always kind of out there or it was in the clouds kind of 
teaching. They never kind of gave you concrete action steps. And that's yeah. why I was really a big fan of your material was that you could actually bring about a deep level change. Like it felt like in minutes, like just reading through some of your Instagram posts, it, there was actual concrete action steps to do and like ways to do it and templates to use and things. And I thought this guy gets it. He understands where he's coming from. But a lot of people come with the belief that, you know, oh, memory disappears as I age. Oh, I can't learn anything after school. I have to be in a regimented class to learn. What are the myths of memory that you've encountered that you wish would just die? You know, is there things that drive you crazy because they're generally held beliefs that people just cling to? Oh, yeah. And that's the biggest thing I struggle (laughs) not to become arrogant against. (laughs) Um. Since I've had like my, my TikTok blow up and stuff, I get a lot of comments now. And when you get a lot of people speaking to you, you see certain patterns that keep occurring, right? Mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones is that, you know, once you get older, your memory is inevitably going to decline significantly. And it's not necessarily true, right? They've done many, many studies on different age ranges and actually no real clinical medical changes have happened when it comes to memory, even into your nineties into a hundred. So. It's not inevitable that you're going to lose your memory. Most of it is lifestyle. If Just remember this small sentence if you're going to take away anything from this podcast. It's use it or lose it. It's that simple. If you want to, if you want to get bigger muscles in the gym, you've got to go to the gym and eat protein. Like It's pretty simple, really. The same thing goes with your brain. If you want to remember more information, you need to practice recalling the information and practice using your brain to store the information in the first place. It's pretty much that simple. The more that you do it, the better you get at it. If you don't do it, the worse you get at it. It's kind of that simple. Sorry, there's my that dog. Me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the, yeah. Yep, I mean, that's definitely something I should have learned was if you don't use it, you lose it. And But you yeah. can re-upskill it. You can get to the point where it is possible to get back to where you were. Why do you think, is it a get-out-of-jail card that people can use and say, okay, we don't, you know, I don't need to, I can use it as an excuse that I can't get better because I'm older, you know, it's, or is it that we generally believe this? What what kind of barriers and bridges have you noticed clients will cling to, to avoid accepting that they have got it? Is it that we have, you know, the fixed mindset? How, yeah, how so would you break down that? Trying to, yeah, so I'll try to break it down um, on the spot for you. So you and I have anywhere between 60 and 70,000 thoughts every single day, every single day, any person, regardless if you think you're overthinking, if you have ADHD, if you don't, if you're, you know, come from a poor background, a rich background, we all have about the same amount of thoughts every single day. By the time you turn around 35 years old, we've memorized beliefs, patterns, perceptions, and just potential strategies in our minds that have helped us to adapt to the environment that we are around, right? Our brains are designed to keep us alive. They keep, they're designed to be able to hunt for mammoths and forage for berries. Or if you're vegan, it's there to hang out with mammoths and hunt for berries, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's not supposed to be able to, you know, work out the mathematics of a black hole. And we've kind of tricked it to do that. So in terms of creating belief structures and stuff as you get older, it's more common because you've found the pathway that you think works for you. Okay. Generally, if by the time you turn 35 years old, 95% of who you are is a set sort of memorized belief structures and patterns and perceptions, right? 
So by that age, you keep doing that thing and you never really question why. So then if something starts to happen outside of that, it's not in your conscious awareness. So it just, you keep following that pattern, you keep following that pathway and it's not in your point of vision. So if it's having a bad memory and you believe that it's just inevitable, you've never really questioned it. You've never tried to find the evidence against it. You've never tried to really change it in the right ways at work. You might've tried a couple of things like a crossword puzzle or, <laughs> you know, something for a day, standard but you probably yeah. never, yeah, but you've probably never gone through like a four week or five week memory training program doing mnemonics and visualizations and imagination and creativity and focus training. Right. So if you were to do that, you would break the pattern, you break the belief, but people get stuck in beliefs because it's the way that we, we, our brains work. Our, Brains are pattern recognition devices, pretty much. It sees a pattern in the environment and says, this equals that. I now believe this and go with that. And that's it. And it just keeps doing that. The more times it finds evidence, it just keeps solidifying and condensing and compacting that belief until eventually you find something that's so shocking that completely smashes it. But it generally takes a lot to be able to smash that belief, right? So most people's beliefs are hardwired and it, not hardwired in the way that you can't break it but just deeply compacted to the point where they don't want to change it. So I hope that's kind of like a good answer. Um, yeah, no, because it definitely came across in your, like your branding, your social media was that it can be changed, but it like you went through, there's a, a post you put up about eating the berry and how, you know, it's like, this might kill me. But then the second time that, you know, I'm still not quite sure about this. And then the third time and how you eventually got to the point of, I have eaten this berry so many times. I've got the information that proves that this berry is safe. That means I can eat the berry and how you, the beliefs are formed. So how do we, how do these things get created? Is it the, in when we're younger that we go through an experience and we don't challenge that belief and we just accept that belief about you, you know, like that we're not good enough. We're not smart enough where we can't learn something new or whatever it is, you know, we're not technical can these things change straight away or, you know, what have you found about going into long-term memory, long-term, like, you know, these the RAM thinking, how quickly can we make these changes? Yeah. So I'll start with the, the belief structures and creations. So generally children up until around the age of about seven are in a different state of mind, literally their brain waves are much slower. They're generally in a, around a state of theta or alpha. So when you hypnotize somebody, they're generally in a, in a theta state, you know, like that's where you can kind of implant subconscious information and to change them, mm -hmm. right? You know, just before you go to bed and, you know, your imagination starts to go a bit crazy. Well, that's kind of like theta All state. All the time. That's the, that's the door to your, from your analytical mind to your subconscious mind. That's when it floods open. Children in really young ages are generally living in that state. They have no ability to the ability to connect the dots with rational thought. So whatever you give them, they have no ability to reject that information. So if you give them a truth, they download that and internalize that as if it's true. They aren't able to objectify or subject that information for questioning. This okay. is, is how it is. Yeah. So it just goes straight in. If they're playing with, uh, you know, the horses that are on the, 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 the neck horses with the wooden pole and they're jumping around yeah. on the horse. They yeah. actually believe they're on a horse. It's not, it's not a joke. Like they actually think they are. Mm. <laughs> so whatever information you're feeding a child, that's how you kind of program a child to be part of the, 
the modern world and the people around you, you have to be able to download that information so quickly um, that they don't have to, they can't question it. Okay. So by the time they're sort of like eight, nine, 10, they start to get out of that brainwave state and around 12 or so, they start to get more into what you and I are in, which is beta. So beta is when you and I awake and you and I are conscious and we're having this conversation. We have to think, we have to connect the dots. And what happens with that is we have to draw from the associations that we have. We have to create the the beliefs. We have to think, does this work for me or does this not work for me? And, you know, we, we are now having more walls up. We have more guards and it's a little bit harder to break those patterns and beliefs. But generally the people, when I work with them, are already in a position of life that they recognize that the beliefs that they have aren't serving them anymore and they're not helping them anymore. So they want to change it. So being aware of them is generally the first step. The change can be in an instant or it can take time. It just depends on how badly you want to change it, how much pain it would associate to staying or changing it, and you know how aware you are consistently of it. So most people would prefer to stay in a state of discomfort or a state of pain than they would to step into the unknown, into this something that's new. And most people um, don't even ever question that. So it needs to create so much pain for them that in an instant they make the decision to break three and change. <laughs> Unfortunately, it just is how it is. Uh, um, so it really depends on the individual, where they're at in their journey and how much of a desire they have to change. So would that be, you mentioned the, like the inner bitch in one of your other posts, would that yeah. be the, that thing that's, you know, stay in bed, you, you know, oh, don't be silly. You can't do that. Or cause like, for instance, I've been doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and I love it. Best thing I've ever done. You learn self-defense, you know, you made new friends, all this, etc. Second, I thought I want to compete. My brain started saying, nope, you know, don't go, don't put yourself out there. People will make fun of you. Don't be. And then I went back to when I was bullied in primary school. You know, there was that thing of hiding the shadows. Don't, don't step out. Even though I became more confident, cocky, made heaps of new friends, I always held that back. So I always tried mm-hmm. to avoid being seen, you know, stepping up at times. And I realized that was a belief I had. So how would we say if you were using that example, working with somebody who wanted like yourself, you know, to go and perform guitar solos and things like that, or jujitsu competitions or whatever it is. How do you start working with a client to say, to start breaking that barrier down? And how does it work between, you know, short-term memory and long-term memory? Because I watch a jujitsu performance and I can remember it for a week. Three days later, I think you said it was something like 70% of the, of what you've just seen goes out your head. How do we start building these things in? Because that's something I struggle with. Okay. So there's a couple, there's two questions in that. Um, The first one I'll answer, which is how do you work with somebody who has those limiting beliefs and that inner bitch that comes up to prevent you from doing things you want to do? So Mm -hmm. I would normally go through a a process in NLP, which is timeline regression or timeline reprinting. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is you will find the emotion that's, holding you down, whatever emotion it is you're having day to day. Okay. So say it's the fear of stepping out and doing your jujitsu competition, right? We trace it back to the first time you ever felt it. And you might think it might've been in the playground with kids in primary school. Or it might've even been younger. Okay. 
And then I would plant you into the situation. I would put you in there and I would get you to speak to that inner child, that inner version of yourself in a very, very calming, loving way as if you were separate from him and check what he really needs in that moment. Okay. And a lot of the time it's their fear, they're fearful or they, um, you know, they want to, they just want to play. They want to have fun, but they're being stopped from it. And these are really, really deep clues as to why this this person and this version of you won't step out into the, into the open. So we go through a process to change that memory in, in general, right? And then we start connecting the new emotion, the new feeling, the new insights and the new wisdom from yourself into your past so that you can heal the timeline that's coming up to where you are now. And then whenever you come up to a situation where you feel the same feeling, I get you to imagine initially, essentially, sorry, pulling that inner child out of yourself and saying a very simple phrase, which is, thank you, little Josh. For me, it's little Josh. Thank you, little Josh, but I will take it from here. So you disassociate yourself from the emotion because the emotion isn't you. It's just something you've learned how to do. It's something you learned how to get you through. It's certain parts of your life. And it worked long enough, but now it's a pattern that's being overplayed and isn't beneficial. So we have to disconnect it, disassociate, and bring it out and take control into whoever you want to be right now. Because whenever you say anything that I am, I am confident or I am fearful, you're giving your body a command to take i mean that alone it's probably changed 50 people listening just now you know it's that's phenomenal like that kind of level change i was just imagining it as you were talking and i'm immediately thinking like i have imposter syndrome when i'm doing the podcast i sometimes struggle to think who am i to be asking the likes of you or who you know like jay cutler about bodybuilding these kind of amazing people who am i to be asking because i'm just some random guy from the scottish highlands and then i realized that stems back from that like the inner bitch the small child from that time so that timeline um like what would you but how do we know when to go back to is there a way of identifying that so when you add emotion to something, you start to create a memory. So when you think about any sort of part in your life, you'll, you'll think about the more highly charged emotionally ones, right? So you'll think about the biggest highlights, maybe 18th birthday, 21st birthday, or the first time you kissed somebody, the first time you had sex, or the first time you did something which engaged all your emotions, right? And so your brain remembers emotions and it remembers patterns very, very well. So generally when you've had something that's so emotional, it in a point of time when you're so young that you don't have any rational ability to uh, to get rid of that information, you don't have enough um, associations to connect the dots, you create a feeling and an emotion and sort of like an identity train at that point. And then throughout your timeline, you're going to experience the same emotion because we're just replaying patterns. So what we do in NLP is we get whatever the emotion is right now, and I'll ask you either when was the last time you felt that or when was the first time you remember feeling that? And your brain just jumps to it. It'll jump to it very, very quickly. And then it might be, say, you might have gone back two weeks or it'll go back 15, 16 years. And then I'll ask you again, was that the first time you ever felt it or was there a time before this? And you might end up going back until you're three or four years old and find, oh, actually, my parent just didn't look at me when I wanted to ask them a question. And that has created trauma for <laughs> my entire life. Jeez. And it's come from something so... Are irrational because children are irrational. They're not able to be rational and logical because they don't have enough understanding to connect dots. They're literally just downloading feelings. Because I've had conversations like my brother's quite into 
how the mind works and changing and you know personal development and things as well so we were discussing um things and i can't remember who who he mentioned but he had read about how not all my memories are truthful you're remembering your version or your interpretation of something and you talk about that in your social media and videos of not all memories are truthful um so how do we know if what we're remembering is truthful especially like say it's something from 15 years ago and I'm annoyed at something I did back then. And I think, no, that makes, you know, like the correlation X means Y, like I'm a bad person because I did X or whatever it is, or, you know, you, you had a bad day, a sports day. So it means you're not sporty or something like that, you know, Hmm. regardless of what it is, would you, how do we know what's truthful and what's not? Because I've seen that you mentioned that we lose something like 70% as you know that's a few days after our memory so how can we even trust our memory to know you know is it the emotion drives it into our memory so we remember that so the more emotions attributed to something the more we're going to remember it or is it so not it's a, a very tricky fact? it's a tricky question to answer um so your memories are generally created based on the beliefs and perceptions you have in that moment which will trigger the emotion and the feeling which will create the memory And depending on what you're focused on in that moment will depend on what you remember from that memory. So if right now you weren't to pay attention to the fact that I have a green shirt, if you didn't remember that, then in six years time from now, you'd be like, I spoke to Josh about some memory stuff, but I wasn't really sure what, oh, he mentioned the green shirt. Oh, that's what I was going to focus on now. So now I've kind of created the the fact that you're going to remember that piece of information. But if you're talking to me and having the conversation, depending on your beliefs and perceptions and everything that you've created in your life up until this conversation will depend on what you decide to take from it in your memory. So you and I will have the same conversation, but leave with two different um, accounts of the same, of the same conversation. Right. And then over time, your, your memory changes based on your new perception and your new belief in life. So then it also starts to alter the details of this memory. So even within like a year, 50% at least of each memory that you think that you know changes. We alter the details based on our new perception, new beliefs. So in terms of can you trust your memories? Not really, if you want to get down to it. You can trust that you felt, you definitely felt something in that moment, for sure, because you can remember the feeling better than you remember the information. But trust? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was thinking back of like, you understand like, you know, maybe you're an arsehole when you were a bit younger. Like, you know, yeah. you maybe in a relationship, you treat somebody badly because you weren't ready to connect and you didn't know how to say it to them at that point or about explain your feelings to somebody or whatever it was. And then you get to a point where as you're a bit older, you look back and you see it and you understand how that might have hurt somebody and how you should have said and you know, all that kind of stuff. And it made me think, well, how can we trust our emotion, our memories, if we... You know, if we're looking back and understanding it from a different place and de- a developed person, how much can we look back and understand our own memories? And that's when you start thinking, well, is it true? Is it not? Is it, am I remembering that because I'm thinking of myself badly in this sense? You mentioned emotion. How much does that play into things? And is it a way of remembering something by adding emotion to it? Is that a good yep. way to memorize things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so a lot of the time we're repeating the stories generally of that past. So it's not necessarily even the details that we're repeating or the conversation, but the story we have around that situation that we had. So we can remember 
definitely certain things might have happened. Say if you got in a fight with somebody, that probably definitely happened, right? And you'll remember that. But the details around who was there, what the conversation was that sparked it, there are different points of emotion. So different parts of that scenario are going to be remembered differently in your mind. Um, but in terms of learning to memorize information using emotion, I get people to do that from the, from the beginning. So we use things like memory palaces. We'll use peg lists. We'll use different uh, mnemonics, which is just assisted memory techniques that anybody can learn and anybody can use. Um, and whenever you create a picture in your mind, a visualization, uh, and for those people listening that think that you can't visualize just for a moment, imagine that you can. Okay. When you start to visualize information, you want to add in sensory details. So the senses that you have touch, taste, sound, hearing, sight, all those, right? You want to add them in and pretend you're in the situation. Okay. If there's something that happens in the visualization, which is you create a scary part of it, like, Maybe it's, um, you know, harmful or if it's, um, you know, you can use striking imagery where it's like, I, I don't know how deep I want to go into the, the visualizations because everyone's is different, but whatever your brain comes up with in the moment, the visualization is generally the best one, but you'll come up with emotions inside of those visualizations. And the more mm -hmm. emotion that you put into something, the easier it is going to be to be able to recall that image. Because that's, that's what sort of blew me away with when I was looking at your stuff was how much it all made sense. You know, it was like the stuff that I remembered was when it, like I could remember being bullied and like when I was crying and stuff like that. Or, but I couldn't remember sometimes a work thing that I just read, mm. you know, like a couple of days ago. And it's like, well, that's definitely because it's more emotional. And, you know, like I was a big fan of Sherlock. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned okay. sort of mind palaces because I have questions on that, you know, because everybody else talks about journaling. Um, and then I, I looked at mind palaces and I tried to, I like the idea of, you know, building, I think it's, you use a room that you're familiar with and you, you're meant to is it link your memories to the layout of the room and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that, meditation, visualization, are these useful tools or initially, do we have to work with a memory coach to start building that in? Can they really so, benefit us? Yeah. So I've gotten quite a few people that when I first start working with them, that they'll have tried to do these things before in the past. Like they've tried to use memory palaces or they've tried to learn different number techniques, but they don't know how to apply it to themselves. Um, and that was also kind of some of the struggles that I had when I first started learning these techniques is the courses I took. I wasn't quite sure how to personalize it and how to create my own mental models and my own frameworks. So the frameworks that I, I use with people, they work, but it's about personalizing it to the way that their brain works. So everybody has different experiences, which means they're going to have different associations, which means they're going to need to create their own little systems within their minds to be able to make these techniques work. Um, so you can go through on uh, YouTube and TikTok and Instagrams and all those things and check out all the techniques. And depending on how in depth you want to go, will depend on whether or not you're going to need a coach. Um, you know, there's unlimited information out there on the internet, uh, but you don't pay coaches for information. You pay them for insight. You pay them for the, the simplification of the process and personalization. So it really depends on how deep people want to go into it. I mean, we're 30 minutes in and I can understand why you're so successful. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> and I, I just don't understand though, like why, like, you know, say you have two competitors and they're like A and B and both are at the same level of skill. 
the person that can remember the technique better and apply it in that position is going to be better. The person that can, you know, go in and remember stuff in a work presentation better is going to do better than the other person where you're maybe both at the same level of public speaking. Why do you think this sort of thing isn't more well known? Like, why isn't this taught in schools, especially at such a young age when memories are being formed and, you know, beliefs and all this kind of stuff are getting created at such an early age? Is it just not well known enough, do you think? I've been asking myself the same question for a while. I'm trying to still figure out and formulate the right answer um, without it being opinionated. But I would think that learning how to learn would be a prerequisite to school, would be a prerequisite to learning. And Mm -hmm. learning is creating new associations in the brain. Memory is maintaining and sustaining those connections over time. So learning and memory are interconnected, obviously. But if you can't remember what you're learning then you really haven't learned anything. So it's kind of my mission to go out there and teach the techniques to help people to be able to learn and remember because I'm not 100% sure why. The schooling system is something that hasn't really changed that much. It started to, and I give it a little more credit than I used to, Um, but it wasn't designed for critical thinking. It wasn't designed for a rapidly changing and uh, accelerating world that we're in right now where the amount of information that's out there is outpacing our ability to be able to adapt to it. You know, schooling systems were set up for people to be able to become obedient factory workers, essentially, in the beginning, right? That's kind of yeah. what it was. Give them enough education in eight to ten different sectors so they go out to the community and do their thing. Now we're past that point where we need to be able to get people to think for themselves, to be able to be solutions-oriented and have the ability to be able to think for themselves, you know? And now some people, some schools are starting to adapt and change to it, and I don't think that learning how to learn or how to remember was much of a question back then. I don't think we had the the privilege or the, um, I'm trying to think about the right word. I don't think we had, the, I'm just going to go with privilege to be able to have that question even come to play at that point. Because mm-hmm. I think there's also that sort of stigma <clears throat> about mental health. You know, you get to a point where you weren't really, you know, you were just told to memorize the facts, use them. You know, mm-hmm. and if you could understand them, you probably did better in your test than somebody who couldn't do it. And you know, it's just repetition of have I say it enough times at you, you're gonna you should remember it. And then on you start going. I mean I'm not I'm not a good learner like that. I think there's seven types of learning. It's like weight methods of learning. So for example, if I'm in jujitsu, I can watch a position from three different places. But until I say to somebody, Okay, can you put it on me? So I can feel how it mm-hmm. comes on. But is it dangerous to say you're an audio learner, you're a visual learner, you're a cognitive learner? Is yep. is learning so unique that you're a bit of each and it depends on the individual person and their setup to learn? Or can we put people in these little boxes like that? Because at school, when you're taught to just learn by repetition, yeah, you can memorize it, but you don't. You might not know how to work it. Is yeah. so we're obviously setting people up to fail. <clears throat> How should we be teaching people to learn? Yeah. So if I were to give an auditory learner a list of 15 words, for example, they won't be able to remember them. They'll remember between four to seven of them. If I gave a visual learner a picture of 15 words, they'd probably remember about four to seven of them as well in no particular order. If I gave somebody... um, you know, if I turned them all into a story and I added you inside of it, 
and gave you a framework, then you'll remember all the 15 words. So regardless of what you think you are a visual or an auditory or kinesthetic learner, when you add the systems in, you're going to do significantly better. And a lot of the time, people think that they are visual learners because they had an experience where they learned better once visually, and then that reaffirms the idea that they're a visual learner. Okay. There's not a whole bunch of information or research done on these learning uh, learning styles, um, but it's been shown that when you introduce all of them into an individual, then they learn better because we all have five senses. Well, we have more like 21, but we all have a lot of senses in our body. And when you engage that into your imagination, your brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So if you create a big imaginative, imaginative picture and storyline and use the environment around you to be able to remember information, you're going to do significantly better than if you think that you're visual or auditory or kinesthetic or any of those sort of learning styles. That makes a, makes a lot of sense because back in the day, um, I'm trying to think what it was. There was a cartoon that said, you know, if you treat everybody the same by like getting all the, I think it was all the animals like to climb a tree, the ones oh, that can climb a tree and you're going to you... treat everybody else as an idiot because they can't do it, but that's not their area, you know? Um, yeah, I think so that's I mean, an Einstein quote. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I struggle with like depression, uh, seasonal affliction disorder when I'm, um, when it gets really dark late, you know, late nights, uh, sorry, early nights and um, gets, you know, takes ages to lay up. So I, I really struggle back there. And then I have like OCD and obtrusive thoughts. So occasionally mm. I have to jump onto medication. Is there a ways around these sorts of things? I mean, it's yeah. this, our, our brains just not, should we, it's, it's a difficult term to go into because I know it's into neuroscience and, med, you know, serotonin and all these sorts of things. But is this your memory just plain up or is this we're just not knowing how to use it more effectively? I think it's not knowing how to use it more effectively. Um, so I, I've dealt with people that the first sessions they'll believe that they have, you know, severe abandonment disorders or something, or they'll have high functioning anxiety, or they'll have all these terminologies that explain a part of the life that they're in. And after one or two sessions with them, they're like, oh, wow, I'm actually in control. I don't have to be the sort of person that is consistently afflicted with these mental issues, you know, and there are ways to be able to get people to consistently take more control. But what I've started to notice is when you give something a name and you use that as the reason why you stop having control and you are now a slave. Mm -hmm. So when, whenever I would say, well, sorry, not me, whenever other people would say that they have, you know, it's not me, it's my anxiety. It's like, well, now you're powerless and you're putting yourself in a position where you can't change. So if you take the anxiety out of you, give it a name, give it a name that you don't even like. Somebody that annoyed you as a kid, Be like, oh, that's Bruce or something. I, I've no, I have no, nothing against somebody called Bruce, by the way. <laughs> but be like, ah, oh, Bruce has entered the room. And then imagine them looking and doing some stupid shit around your room. And then you start to change the way that your brain actually views anxiety. And when you start to change the association, you permanently change your association to it, which will change the way that you act towards it when you notice it the next time. So whenever you do meditation or something like that, all you're doing is, is noticing. You're not doing anything to change it. You're just noticing it. Then when you add visualization to this as well, well, I get people to who have like high 
abandonment issues. We'll go through that NLP process to bring out the inner child and stuff. I'll get them to imagine their little child running around whenever they get upset or they get anxious or they get depressed and bring them out of their body and literally watching them run around being crazy. And they can't take the, the, the feeling seriously anymore. So their anxiety, their depression, their abandonment issues are now out of their body. It's not them anymore. So when you take away the label and you take control of your mind, you're able to change your entire perception of the entire scenario. Because it's definitely something I struggled with at the start that I always put it down and I didn't really understand it. And then, you know, I got yeah. put on to sort of antidepressants at the, 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 the time. And then it started getting to a point, like you're saying, you start making that as the boogeyman. You know, it's like, okay, that's the thing that's holding me back. That's the reason I can't do X, Y, Z. And, you know, you take all your power and give it to that area of your life and say, well, I would like to do that, but I can't because of my anxiety is too bad or my depression is too bad. And yeah. I can't remember what I called it, but I did, I've done that before where you say, oh, that's just Oscar being, you know, oh, fuck off Oscar. I'm about to compete in this yeah. or I'm about to do this. And it definitely works, but it's, it's trying to build it into a habit. Um, yeah. so would you say like meditation, visualization, are these kind of daily things or are these things you slowly add in? What are, how would you start improving and what habits would you get a new client to start doing to better themselves? Yeah. So from the first week, I always get, I'll generally go through this NLP process to check out their inner child and I'll get them aware of where they feel it in their body and then I'll get them to pull it out. Right. And so whenever you feel that you're in a state that's not empowering, it's not who you truly are, you bring them out, say, thank you, little Josh, but I'll take it from here. And then every morning I'll get them to go on a treadmill. And I'll get them to listen to a, a meditation, which lasts for about 12 to 16 minutes. And they just walk and pretend that their future self, whether it's living the life they want to live or experiencing the situations they want to experience, say they want to experience confidence, then imagining scenarios where they have, uh, their, where they would experience confidence. Say they want to have their business running in a certain area. I'll get them to imagine it as if it's a memory of the past. Hmm. And when you put it into a memory, and you, you make it as if your future is a memory, your brain starts to rewire to match that persona. So when that starts to happen, your limitations, your fears, your insecurities, they start to disappear because you've already remembered and you're now memorizing personality traits that haven't happened yet in actual time, but in your brain, they've happened. So now we're memorizing new stories about the people we want to be. We're memorizing the the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of certainty, of empowerment, and all these things. And it's more constant and more frequent than the stories of the past, which are holding us back. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Because I've done NLP where they've said, you know, you take a, a memory that you, it destroys you to think about it and you pretend it's on a, like a TV screen and you remove the color, you change the voices oh, yeah. to Mickey Mouse or you make it into a tiny little thing. 
and I found that really helpful. Um, you know, I mean, it's also the thing about visualization where the brain apparently doesn't realize between uh, sort of imagined reps and actual physical reps. Is that true? You know, is like when I remember listening to like meditation tapes, I found sometimes my brain would just go off with my thoughts, but a lot of times I could kind of go, okay, I can listen to that and then I'd forget about it and it would really help. Mm. How do we build these in, like to make them? Yeah, I think it's just because I struggle with like doing it repetitively after and after a while. Like, how do we get over that final barrier to make this part of our life now? Is it mm-hmm. we have to define who we want to be and have a very outlined version of who we want to be? Because Paul mm-hmm. McKenna, I don't know if you know him, the hypnotist, he said, you know, you pretend that person's in front of you and you step into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a whole ritual behind it, but you kind of become that person. And he said you can become that person straight away. Is that really the case? It is with practice, absolutely. Um, what I try and set up for people is environmental cues and environmental triggers that are more constant and with their just daily routines, more constant yeses than nos. You know, so there's more votes towards the the version of themselves that they want to become. So it comes to writing down one month, two month, and one year goals in the mirror, as well as a mantra about who they want to be. Mine is I inspire others each and every day. So every single time I go to my mirror in the morning, in the night, and during the day, I look at that and I imagine it as if I've already achieved those one month, two month, and one year goals, as if it's already real. And then I look at my mantra. And then if I'm not acting as if that I'm that person today, it just starts to kick in. It's like, Josh, you're not holding true to what you're saying to yourself. Yeah. And that might take a little bit of time. It might take a couple of weeks to a month. But it's the more wins towards the desired identity that you take, the more you start to become it. I wouldn't expect an easy and one-day fix for anybody. If you want to recondition 35 years of bad habits, it's going to take more than one day. But there is hope is the thing, right? We all have neuroplasticity in our brain, which just means that when our brain learns anything new, it's like stretching a plastic bag. It'll never go back to the original dimensions. So it can never physically be the same. So once you learn a a new truth about yourself, you change your belief, you can never go back to the old one. Because that blew me away when I seen that, and I think it was in the memory playbook, and I was just like, you know, I'll I'll check out the memory playbook, you know, I, I kind of always go through each guest, and I was just like, this is amazing, the, like, <laughs> you know, the branding on that is uh, like unicorns and like people dressed as elephant, you know, it's just like it blew me away, and it stuck with me. It's like my brain kind of because it was funny because it built the emotion, like we talked about earlier, yeah, it stuck into my head more. So you have a great way because there'd be people just now sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that's fine, but I can't, I'm never going to be able to do this because it's too big a goal i could understand if yeah. it was just this little area but you have a great way of doing it for like the two minute approach mm. can you go into a little bit about that about how we can utilize these kind of how to get into bigger goals sure so most people why they they don't go towards bigger goals is either they're not emotionally connected enough to the outcome which is what i've kind of been talking about before or they see the task is too big okay and the brain will generally avoid anything that's too big. It'll see something huge and be like, nah, I can't tackle that. It's too big. Let's just put that over there. We'll do something that's easier, which is more rewarding straight away. So whenever that happens, you'll go towards the path of, you know, least resistance, which might be avoidance, procrastination. It might be 
going out and drinking or having fun with friends or whatever it is that's avoiding the task that you want to actually do. Mm-hmm. So creating your connection to your future, ideal self, is a really important step. Secondly, if you want to break down a task, you know, how, how do you eat an elephant? Right? It's, it's one bite at a time. You don't try and devour an entire elephant because it's impossible. So if you're trying to get in shape, you're trying to become, you know, lose some weight. Instead of focusing on, I want to lose 15 kilos, that's a scary task. That's almost an impossible task for a lot of people. But if you break it down into, okay, all I'm going to do is I'm going to put on my socks and my shoes and I'm going to put the key outside of my door and that means I'm going for a run. I don't know how long I'm going to run for, but it takes away the hesitation towards the exercise. Mm-hmm. If it's to go to the gym, even whatever, it doesn't matter. But if it's to start a business, instead of saying, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a month. Well, okay. Well, what's the first action? The smallest thing that you can take sitting at the desk for starters, clearing your environment of distractions and setting up maybe your first month, what that might look like and what's your first step. So instead of uh, viewing and framing a task as something huge and unaccomplishable, take the first step. Where, where you find the least hesitation, the least resistance. Cause I used to, I've seen that before where you, you know, you want to start going to the gym. So they say, leave your gym equi- uh, stuff outside your bed. So you automatically can put it straight on. You don't need to worry about where's your trainers, where's your shorts. So you remove that initial kind of, Oh, I could just let, you know, it's like getting a bitch. Like, like we talked before, you know, you can, instead of saying, oh, just lie back in bed. Now you can see it and you say, no, this is the new habit I want to do. So you're building these sort of habits in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. But so the, the most powerful part, though, to stick to it is accountability. So there's a, a law that's uh, it's called Pearson's Law. And it states that what is measured improves. But what is measured and reported back to somebody, the rate of improvement accelerates. So when you just measure something yourself, say that you track, I did my, I went to the gym six times this week. Cool. But when you go to the gym and you just track it by yourself, you're probably not improving that much. But when you're Mm -hmm. reporting back to somebody like a coach or a friend even, then your rate of improvement actually accelerates because now you've got accountability. So one of the, the easiest way to stick to any goal is to find somebody that you're not too close to, not a best friend, not a lover, not a partner, not somebody that's going to be lenient on you, but somebody that you can call each week for 15 minutes and just say, hey, I've reached this this week. Um, here's what my goal is for next week. Here's where I messed up and what I'm going to do better for next week. That's it. Just what I hit, missed, will do better. That's all. No. Just the act of that alone will keep you on path and keep you sticking to your goals. And I love how you in your memory playbook, you even have a wee template that people can use to send to somebody. Yeah. So they can say, you know, you, you take out even the, I don't know, like the effort to come to make one themselves. You know, the initial, yeah. oh, yeah, that's a good idea, but fuck, I'll, get, I'll get around to that. You know, you actually just give them something there and then to use. So something I, I, I know a lot of people struggle with is when they're trying to make a new habit or a new skill or learn whatever it is, the second they start to fail, they start saying, oh, I'm just not good enough. Oh, I'm not, you know, that initial bumps down the road. What have, what have you learned about, um, I don't want to call it rejection, but is it just a case of looking at as, well, that's the part, that's an approach that didn't work or something I'm doing is wrong? How should we mm. look at failure or slipping up and going back to our old habits? 
you know, how do we do that? And then how do we realign to get back on track? Is it the accountability again? Accountability is a really good one. It will help for sure. But reframing is going to help you a lot as well, right? When, whenever you learn anything, you're always going to have an area of discomfort. And failure is the most natural form of learning. Like when you think about a baby that starts to walk, when it, when it takes a step, it falls over. Hmm. And then it'll stand up again, take two more steps and fall over again. Then it'll do it. It might take three or four or five, six steps this time. It'll keep falling over. Then it gets up. But it has the vision of itself walking. So it keeps doing it. And it falls over so many times until it starts running. But you didn't just stand up and start running from the get-go, right? You failed over and over and over again. And think about any area of your life where you've gotten good at something. It has to come from failure. So that's why it's important to have the vision of yourself already succeeding it at the beginning where regardless of how many times you're going to fail, you're still going to get back up and keep going. Imagine yourself as if you've already achieved it and recognize that these failures are me being a scientist in my own life, testing what does work, what doesn't work, and staying on track towards whatever outcome I want to achieve. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's actually it's really annoying just now because there's so many little side avenues I want to go down because I find this so fascinating. And your stuff is kind of it's opened up all these new ways of thinking. And I could have you on for like three hours and still have enough questions <laughs> for another. So we, we've got to do another one. Um, I'd love to. But, what um see when you're doing the sort of the the, the approach um i don't know if you know tim ferris the human guinea pig uh, yeah he was like yeah. one of my first introductions to self-development and it's accelerated a, learning as well it's quite amazing how quickly people kind of got and um like andrew uh, so uh, andrew huberman is it as well the like the neuroscience guy that's come up recently um i sure. think people are realizing that there's so much more now that we can change, you know, like Aubrey and Marcus with on it. There's mm. these amazing kind of changes we can make that we're, we're realizing we're not just who we were as kids. And that's you till you die. You can actually manipulate and change and develop yourself. But he has this policy where he talks about fear setting. So every month he writes out what he wants to do and then writes out the goals of each thing and says, where, what am I scared of? Where can it go wrong? And then what mm. he then takes and says, okay, so that's my fears. How can I go back to that starting point? How can I fix it if it goes wrong? So he actually removes the power of the fear. Mm. Is that helpful? Or is this going back to what we were talking about where you said, imagine your future self as a memory? Does that kind of negate the need for that sort of thing? For me, it kind of does. Um it, this is a good technique, the fear setting, because it's anticipation of what could go wrong and what to do mm -hmm. if you do discover it so that your brain's actually aware of it happening. Like with meditation, generally all you're trying to do is see the emotions. You're not trying to change anything, but being aware of it is generally all that you need to do and the emotion itself will dissipate. So mm -hmm. whenever you see the fear in your future and you anticipate the fear, just because you've already seen it in the beginning, whenever it does pop up, well, now you're aware of it and you don't need to get embodied by the fear. And you now have the option to be able to make a new choice. So writing down your fear from the beginning is definitely a good one to do. Um, I think like any of this, I think you can get overwhelmed by too much information nowadays. So instead of trying to embody everything and doing nothing, try to find one thing from this podcast that you can actually take and actually try, you know, mm -hmm. try and take one thing that you're going to try and see what works for you. Because every technique that I, I give, not all of them are going to work for every single person. 
but there will be variations of them that will. You know, so it's the same reason why some people might like Grant Cardone or and not like Tony Robbins when it's all about like just being a better version of yourself and achieving more and stuff like that, right? Um, when one person gives the information, you will listen. When another person does, you won't. But it's about finding which works for you over time. So being the scientist of your own life. And when, um, when I teach people how to learn, when you're trying to understand and comprehend information, the, the terminology I kind of give is called brute force learning. And essentially what it is, is adopted from the hacking world where hackers will take thousands of different um, passwords and attack the firewall all at once so that eventually one will break through. And when it comes to learning is find as many different associations, many as many different explanations as you can find from different teachers, from different masters, from different books and podcasts and YouTubes and everything around the topic so that eventually one of the explanations is going to connect. Mm-hmm. But try and find it from as multiple different sources as possible. So, like, I tend to stick to, like, about an hour, an hour and a half, roughly, say, on podcasts. And as I'm listening to somebody, they'll have, like, amazing advice the whole way through. Or I'm reading a book and I'm thinking, that's that's a, the best technique. Right, I'm going to go do that. How do we take it from short-term into long-term? But how, then, do we take the long-term memory and understand it and learn it and use it? Is there a pro- Is there a procedure that you use? Because... Like, say if somebody's listening to this just now and wants to do that technique, that technique, that technique, how do we then make sure that that goes into our head, we memorize it, we let into long-term memory, but then we also understand it enough to use it? Is there a way of doing that, or is it just individual, their, their own ability at that stage of their life? Yep, so the one that I kind of just gave with brute force learning can help you to comprehend and understand the techniques better, where you try and get it from as many different explanations as possible. Um, but when it comes to long-term memory, right? Long-term memory is only one minute to the rest of your life, which is crazy, right? Sometimes you need to memorize before comprehension comes in. So you memorize a, a technique or you'll memorize some information, but you won't understand it because you don't have enough connections yet to properly see it as an insight or a wisdom. Um, but your long-term memory is anything from one minute to a hundred years. So depending on how important that information is to you for your future will depend on how long you're going to remember it for. So if you learn it once and it gets from your working to short to long-term memory, but you never repeat it again, then you'll still forget it in a day from now or two days or five days because your brain is a deletion device. And all you've said is if you don't repeat it, you don't add enough emotion to it. What you've said to your brain is this piece of information isn't important enough to keep in my brain i'll delete it and open up space for new more important information that might be more useful for my survival so having a a system of review that's increasing intervals of time this is called spaced repetition where you would learn a new piece of information here and depend like say right now this podcast and then depending on what you're trying to remember out of it later say in an hour's time you'd repeat those main points you want to remember later And then tomorrow, just remember it again in your mind. It takes 15 to 30 seconds. That's it. And then four days from now, you remember it again. And then seven days from now, again. So we're increasing the intervals of time in which we remember the information, which puts it into a longer term uh, in our brain. I really like that because one of my questions was about like how, you know, say in a jujitsu, you know, like, 
coming out of a bad situation into a good situation into a submission like that chain can be filled with thousands of steps and I was like how do I memorize all this and I think you had a similar kind of approach to that of you know you learn step by step then you you go away and instead of just trying to say the steps you tell somebody it you would demonstrate it and then you'd go oh wait no that's what I need I'm lacking on that okay I need to go learn that and then you do it again and again and again and like you're saying this sort of timed blocks of learning I really I love that stuff I mean this is why I I could go for an hour on that alone Um, (laughs) but say we have somebody listening just now and they were like brilliant I want to do this I want to work with you I want to do this this and this how would you start them you know, as there standard changes you could give to everybody listening, that if they just did these three things, for example, no matter what else they did, it would start benefiting them. Is it like meditation, 10-minute walk, listening to some classical music or something like that? Is there general things you found that help, no matter what else you do? Yep. Um, the ones that would give people least resistance would be awareness is always key. So start doing more things to make you more aware, whether it's going to be brushing your teeth with your left hand instead of your right hand, or if it's putting on the wrong sock first or taking a new path to work instead, you know, start to open up as many different points of awareness in your life so that when things are starting to happen unconsciously as a program, you're no longer running that program. So then you're opening up choices that you can take differently to change your outcome and to change the part of your life that you're in. So start from the basics with brushing your teeth with a different hand. Just that act alone will start to make you more aware by default of the other things that you unconsciously do. That's a good start. I think I read that in an NLG book where they were saying you brush your teeth with your foot off the ground, with your eyes closed, or you use a different hand to do. (laughs) It was all these kind of things. It's like to change how you're doing something while you're thinking about something, and it would link into you. It was... I, I find it also really interesting. Like CBT was life changing for me. You know, the ability that you're not your thoughts, you can actually change them and how you utilize things. And, you know, instead of just believing they're true of what you're actually going to do with it and how you could alter what it, what you felt about it and all these sorts of things. Um, I mean, it's only recently become quite popular to really get into this. Um, I mean, and that's why I can't figure out how you're not exploding on the scene because this stuff, Every video of yours I watched, I was like, it was it was almost like I've got to, I could change my life with this alone. What was it about TikTok Amazing. and things like that that made you go down that route rather than opening up a practice and things like that? You know, and you um, I mean your your brand's amazing, but why did you go down that approach? I think it kind of goes back to my performer days. You know, like I always wanted to inspire the masses when it was performing, mm-hmm. right? But performing was a very selfish pursuit, which was always about me, 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 me. Look at me on the stage. Look at me. La, la, la. But when it comes to coaching, it's like, I want to impact as many people as possible. And that gives me fulfillment, right? And TikTok is the best platform to do that with. Um, TikTok, you can reach a million people with zero followers. Instagram, you just can't. You, mm-hmm. You're stuck to the people that already follow you and only a very, very small percentage of those mind you as well. Uh, Facebook, you're same thing. You're stuck to the friend groups that you've got on there. Um, so I went through ages trying to grow my Instagram and all that sort of stuff, but eventually TikTok just did its thing and it, you know, got a couple of viral posts and I got in front of quite a lot of people. <laughs> um, and I, I just really t- enjoy that. 
I like TikTok's like one minute kind of is it, is it or ninety seconds is the max you can put on it. So you kind of have to, you know, you have to streamline your material to make sure it gets into there. Because I struggle yeah. sometimes, as you probably noticed, I waffle quite a bit. And it's <laughs> um, when it first came out, I was like, oh, "This is," hmm. and now I kind of see it as like people's attention spans are, sm- are s- small. So it's yeah. actually quite good to kind of give them the little snippet videos of what to do. What yeah, would you... I actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I was just saying like um, I I do love that creativity loves boundaries. So like you have to be able to express a lot of information into the smallest form possible. But the one one of the ones that actually did the best for me was three minutes long, which surprised the hell out of me. Um, mm. There's a three minute long video that got me sort of like the most growth and most exposure that I've had so far on TikTok. So. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to be able to formulate a lot of information into a small period of time and hopefully have it impact their lives. Well, something that's quite sort of um, big in my life was I've had grandparents with dementia. Um, Mm. And something when I was talking to my mum about like who I was going to be interviewing next, she said, oh, ask him about dementia patients. Ask him about like older people who have started getting these kind of like memory problems and stuff like that. Is there anything that I know it kind of goes into how the like the brain functions and stuff like that? But is there anything you would do from your side of things to work on improving their memories or helping them at least recover or understand their memories better? Because like when my grandpa had dementia, for example, uh, colours would set him off, and he'd remember a time back in 1955 when. He had conversations, but he'd forget he had children. And then he would remember something else and he'd go off on this sort of tangent. Is there, have you worked with patients with dementia, like any kind of um, memory, I don't know how to describe, memory issues maybe? Um, I haven't done a whole lot with dementia patients, I'll be honest. Um, I would prefer to send people to their doctors first. Um, I've worked with people that have had some pretty interesting cases with their, their memory. Um, but dementia, it's something that I don't want to pretend like I know how to solve. Um, or Alzheimer's, it's not my area of expertise. Hmm. For me, it's what I've, the studies that I've read and the, the other people I've seen that have worked with them. It seems that prevention is sort of the best medicine. And learning new skills is generally one of the best things that people can do to prevent and to help people who have had similar sort of um, circumstances. So whenever it comes to dementia learning and stuff like that, it's generally continue learning new skills, you know, not just focus techniques like crosswords and stuff, but actually learning a new skill, like learning a new language or reading, uh, sorry, or like learning a new instrument or something like that. They're generally the best pieces of advice. Because this goes back to the, like you were talking about earlier, it's like use it or lose it. You know, yeah. um, and I think that's the thing is people going to go, oh, yeah, we'll get them to do a jigsaw. We get them to do a crossword. And you're like, well, that's not really enough. And I was really yeah. liking on your uh, memory playbook where you were talking about, you know, the best way to learn a skill is if you're struggling is through another skill. Like the art of learning kind of help boosters you for the other skills. And I, I really like the idea of doing that with our older people, of getting them to learn new things, because, it's like you're saying it's like use it or lose it your brain starts thinking well why am i keeping this part of the brain open and feeding it mm. and you know strengthening it yeah if he's not learning anything where i could be f- using it for other parts of the development or whatever you'll call it um yeah so what 
what do you want? I mean, you should be massive. You should be like everybody following you. But how? What advice would you give to people? Uh, what do you want the evolution of your brand to be? You know, like with Memory Playbook, which is brilliant. It's hilarious. It's <laughs> but it's also life changing. You know, it's like your website, your coaching business. What do you want the evolution of this to be? Where do you want to be yeah. in five years or? So I want to have my own coaching business. I think the memory playbook will be the more business umbrella, you know, like having memory coaches and other coaches to, to help people in different areas of their life. And for me, I'd love to be the, like the personal brand, one of the thought leaders within the industry, you know, like, um, you know, up there with the greats of, you know, Jim Quick and Tony Robbins. And like, I want to be a big brand in the self-development scene, you know, um, that's mm-hmm. one of my main sort of things. I've always wanted to be, you know, I, I used to think I wanted to be famous with music, but I, I still want to be somewhat famous, I guess. I'm allowed, I want to stroke my ego in that way, but I wanted to do it in a way that fulfills me and that actually helps and inspires others. So five years time, I'd like to be a globally recognized thought leader within my industry of coaching and memory playbook will be a company that you know, div- uh, sorry, distributes the techniques and the learning strategies to schools globally. That's sort of my vision. Because when I seen you were a memory guy, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I've already interviewed a memory guy. But then when you started talking about habit change, I thought, okay. And then when you started talking about fixing your inner child and dealing with the inner bit, you know, I was just like, okay, this guy's got me hooked. And then as I watched your videos, you have such a unique, you're really good at presenting the information in a fun and an interesting way. And the memory playbook, like we we discussed before we jumped on the call, was the branding is amazing. And it's funny, but it, is, it, it sticks in your head. But you also give really good action, concrete steps to say, you know, don't. we're not just talking of the concept. We're actually detailing how to do it. Um, so... I know we were well past our time. I'm, I'm sorry for keeping you. Okay. For people no, who want fine. to work with you, people who want to find you on social media, people who want to do X, Y, Z, have you got talks coming up? Have you got like a TED talk would be excellent, I think. Um, have um, you got any events coming up that people can sign up to? But yeah, so in terms of talks, in, I'll be doing more workshops throughout Dubai, uh, more online recordings. I'm about to come out with a free seven-day course for anybody that they want just you'll go to my Instagram or TikTok um, and it'll be a link in the bio to open up a little thing. It'll say free seven day course. That'll be up in the next week or so. Um, and then start to follow the journey because what we're going to start doing is some pretty cool stuff. We're going to take people through courses on Coursera and Udemy and stuff like that and show them in real time what it's like to break down a course and how to learn it in huge detail, but really, really quickly. So we're going to be using accelerated learning techniques and memory techniques to be able to take people through courses. So they're actually also gaining a skill with a course, um, as well as all the techniques that I'm going to be teaching. So it'd be good for people to have that prerequisite of the free seven day course to be able to do that as well. Um, but yeah, so I guess just watch the space, you know, I'll be doing quite a lot of stuff and it's my, I'm not stopping, you know, like my, uh, my following amount has just been an introduction for me not an outcome of what i was looking for you know it's like the the door is starting to open um so yeah i'm hoping to do quite a lot more trust me <laughs> i love that because it's it's like they say it's like this is just the beginning it's not even it's yeah. not the end and it's like you got your first thousand 
go for your 10,000. You got your 10,000, go 100,000. And then, you know, think of the life she could be changing. And that's yeah. why I love this podcast is I get to speak to people like you and I get the people who email you and say, that's cha- that conversation changed my life or actually I'm so glad I found this guy or, and that's why I'm so glad I can share stuff like this with, with you. Mm. Um, do you want to just go over your sort of social media handles? Like if I was to find you on Instagram, TikTok, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So TikTok is an easy one. It's memory coach. Pretty straightforward. Uh, Instagram it's Josh McCartney official Josh McCartney, like Paul McCartney from the Beatles, but Josh, and if you want to check out Memory Playbook as well, there's Memory Playbook on Instagram as well. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.